This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. All right, so uh, we've got some teachers coming up. I'm really, really excited about this. And while we're doing a, a little mic switch, I, I wanted to tell you about uh, just a, a moment that I remember as a teacher. I had... Uh, I had a student named Eduardo, and Eduardo was one of those students who you'd, you'd see him in the morning and you'd kind of think to yourself, man, aren't you ever absent? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just always getting into trouble and always, always causing problems in classroom and, and you know, just uh, very, very low academically. And so one day I'm, I'm up at the front of the class and I'm doing my thing. And I hear a student in the back of the class shout, Eduardo, you are so stupid, you don't even know how to tell time. And so as a teacher, you know, it's, it's decision time. And so I thought of quickly all the things that I could do. And I decided to go back to the cla- back of the classroom. And I, I stood over Eduardo and I said, is that true that you're in eighth grade and you don't know how to tell time? And he said, yeah. I said, how come? He said, I don't know. I said, no, really, Eduardo, come on, how come? He said, looked up at me and he said, nobody ever taught me. Now, maybe somebody did teach Eduardo, maybe somebody didn't. Who cares? At that moment in time, I had a student in front of me who didn't know how to tell time. And so I got the class started on an activity and I took the clock off the wall and I sat down with Eduardo and in 20 minutes, he knew how to tell time. And that's what we do sometimes as teachers. We are problem solvers. And sometimes we solve problems by standing in front of 30 absolutely dynamic te- uh, teenagers. And sometimes we, do, we solve problems very quietly, one at a time in the back of the classroom. And, and sometimes as teachers, we solve problems very quietly at our own dinner tables. And so I'm so excited to bring up to you to bring up here teachers who who solve problems, teachers who not only solve problems as they come their way, but also who identify problems and and go out and see solutions. Because sometimes innovation doesn't mean coming up with the latest and greatest in gadgetry and technology and and gadgets and things like that, but sometimes innovation just means trying to address the same problem we've been trying to address for a long time, but with a new set of eyes or, or with a, a new perspective. And so, are we all set to go? All right, excellent. Uh, we have heard, again, from a broad range of individuals today, and right now what we're going to do is bring it full circle back to the classroom where it all begins. And none of this change we're talking about uh, with STEAM would really be possible without the dedication and the drive of teachers like the ones that you're about to hear from. And so our plan is to, uh, for this spotlight, is really to be on teachers and to give each a chance to really share how they're implementing STEAM and uh, speaking to specific projects and the impact on their students ranging in the, the kindergarten through 12th grade. And so we're going to start with Angela Jackson, who is a contemporary artist and Envision Department co-chair at Canyon Crest Academy, and will be speaking about a collaborative project uh, that she leads with uh, local biotech life technologies, uh, now Thermo Fisher. So give it up for Angela. 
Good afternoon. My name is Angela Jackson, and I am the, um, I'm actually a visual artist at Canyon Crest Academy, and I'm also the co-chair of the Department of Visual and Performing Arts. In addition to that, I'm also a contemporary artist who's exhibited um, locally and nationally as well. And I'm here to talk about our collaboration with Life Technologies, which is now currently known as Thermo Fisher. And I apologize profusely. I will always call it Life Technologies because we've been working with them for four years, and it's a really hard um, habit to break. So um, just bear with me as I call it Life Tech, those of you that are out there possibly from Thermo Fisher right now. So uh, I just wanted to give you a little bit of a background um, How this all started really was four years ago, and it kind of all just became uh, became an organic process, really. In the summer, as a contemporary artist, I was looking at um, different painters who were painting cell division, and I was just really so amazed at what they were painting, and I thought, you know, this would be such an interesting concept to do as a project with my own students, And I started thinking, how am I supposed to have this gel and come together? And as a visual artist, I actually was always interested in the sciences. In fact, my um, most favorite course in high school was anatomy, and actually not any of the art classes that I had, although I enjoyed them. But I remember anatomy just really speaking to me so well. And if my math grades had been a little bit higher, I probably would have gone into the medicine um, profession um, instead of art. So I've always had this interest in science. So I wanted to infuse that into our curriculum somehow. And at Canyon Crest Academy, we have this remarkable ability to um, to collaborate, and it is encouraged. Um, in fact, this summer, um, right for our in-service, we were uh, led onto a bus, and we didn't know where we were going at the time. And we were um, the only thing we knew is when we got there, we were going to have to do some form of an activity, and it ended up becoming um, a collaborative activity where we can we can work with any of the other teachers in the different disciplines and have a brainstorming session at the beach, 15th Street in Del Mar. And so we're encouraged all the time. And I just, I'm so thankful for for where we work and what we're able to do. Um, But this collaboration came four years ago, and it really is just the collaboration and the culture and the environment that we have and the ability to take that curriculum and really infuse our own ideas and concepts. So it was a back-to-school night where I thought, well, let's see how this is going to pan out. I want to talk to my families and ask them, is anyone able to help with this idea? I would really like for us to not only just paint and deal with cell division in science, but I also want to be able to take this outside of the classroom. And I'm really a big proponent on you know, getting out of the classroom as much as we possibly can. So at the back-to-school night, I proposed this idea saying that you know, San Diego is a biotech hub, and if anyone is able to help, I'd love to be able to see some form of a collaboration with one of the biotech companies. And if anybody knew anything... Um, and anybody knew anyone, would you please be able to let me know and see how we can take this idea of um, cell division paintings and put it out there into the biotech world? 
And then I had one parent who raised his hand and said, I think I can help you out. And it was just this massive relief that here you are taking this idea as a teacher, wanting to infuse science into your curriculum, and just being able to have that open up. So um, it ended up snowballing into much more than I actually ever anticipated. And it's, it's been um, some, a project that we work on for four years now, which is really fantastic. So we, became, um, we began in touch with um, Life Technologies, and started speaking with them about the idea. And they said, this is a really fantastic idea. We actually really want to reach out um, for education. And we can offer you definitely a reception for the students' work. And I said, that's fantastic. That's going to be so amazing to them. They're going to love that. And as they started to see the work come in, um, they started to think, well, how else can we infuse things into different items with this project. And so they had actually given us imagery that they had. So they gave us um, visual imagery of stained cells and also of proteins to work with. And the students were then uh, manipulating that um, the imagery that they received. And then also, when it aligned with our bio or AP bio classes, we would also work with them as well in infusing those students with our advanced painting students. And when they saw the finished pieces, which some of these are from um, Life Tech, they let me borrow them for today, which is great. Um, they said, you know... We'd like to keep these, and is that okay? And I said, well, I'll have to ask the students because it is their work, and we didn't speak about this before. And they said, you know, we've just become so attached to these. We can't believe that high school students have actually created something like this, that we would like to keep them on permanent display on our campus, and we'd like to give you a donation towards the supplies that created these pieces. And I said, well, that would be obviously super fantastic. And then what ended up happening as well is they said, you know, we'd also like to give your students a tour. And I said, that would, that would be wonderful as well. And it just kept snowballing and snowballing. So we ended up having a tour. And then next year, they said, you know, let's start thinking about high school and how high school starts to think about career paths. And I said, that's a perfect um, merge with what, you know, I've been thinking as well. And so they were able at Life Tech to then, the next year, have a career panel where they were discussing to the students, um, their head graphic designer, and then they also had the, the head copywriter speaking on creative jobs in the biotech and science industry. And we definitely had so many students who never really thought they can take their love of art and their love of science and merge it into a career. And those careers are out there, and that really definitely inspired so many of my students looking into um, medical illustration and, and so on and so forth. I mean, they just really became inspired looking at the jobs that were available. Um, with this life tech model, we are currently now exploring it for other um, other disciplines and also for other corporations as well because 
you're bringing those careers that, that students might not make those connections with. And that was just such a key um, piece for us. Um, so some of the pieces that you see here, and then um, the tour that the students went on, also the reception that the students had, and also um, how for four years we have filled the entire campus of live technologies, and we've maxed out their wall space. So it is quite quite a feat because um, you know it's it's not as big as the Qualcomm campus, but it's a pretty big campus that's up there. So we've actually maxed out their space, which is great. So um, the whole essence of science is is truly questioning. And just don't be afraid as a teacher to ask those questions. It was just that simple question that night at back-to-school night where I said, can anybody please help me with this idea? Thank you so much. Sangela, this is really just a perfect example of how the business cross-sector collaborations can really be meaningful and lasting for all of the groups involved. And so... Next, we have uh, April McBride and Van Tron to tell us about their work with Lincoln Acres Elementary. Hello, my name is April McBride. And I'm Bun. And we are teaching artists for CODA, which is Collaborations, Teachers, Teachers and, and Artists. And we had a unique opportunity to bring STEM into the classroom at Lincoln Acres in National City. And we worked with a wonderful sixth grade teacher, Rebecca Colangelo. And with Rebecca, her primary focus was to engage the students and improve reading comprehension. And we wanted to bring this through a multidisciplinary approach. So Dragon Wings was our inspiration for the project. And the story is told from the perspective of a young boy who comes from China to San Francisco in the early 1900s to meet his father for the very first time. And the book takes us through his journey of um, survival and trying to forge ahead and achieve his dreams. So the art of kite making is very prevalent within the story, and which propelled us to construct and create kites that reflect symbolic themes from the story. And so the kite construction process that we built in within our collaboration was really it initiated as this open exploratory process where we made no promises, no guarantees to the students that the kites that they constructed would fly. But we were willing to go through this process to learn together. Uh, and we presented the students with various materials from um, things that you could find from your own household or office and shared with them, what do you think about this material? Do you think it could fly as a kite? And to get the kids to think and engage and answer and respond and to think critically about what could possibly work, what could maybe not work. And so utilizing some of that um, uh, brainstorming and predicting what, con what kind of construction problems we might come across, we put that forward into the design and the building aspect of their kites. So the design really came from a few kite templates that I found from online resources. I didn't share the students that information. <laughs> but we went forward with um, the process of taking these materials, using steam-based exercises. And this is where that steam started to build with measuring, using, using mathematics to figure out 
okay, if I multiply this to get ratios, and if I need to scale this, uh, in which these prototypes became uh, and transformed into these much larger scaled versions of kites later on in the uh, collaborative residency, um, the students took that, took their test models, and went out into the field and tried their hand at flying their kite. Of course, we had a little side kite hospital for <laughs> the kids that did not quite have so much success with their kites. But we took that information back to the drawing board to figure out what kind of challenges did we come across, what worked, what didn't, why do you think it was. Uh, maybe it was a matter of a measurement that went off, or maybe it was a, the type and choice of material. Um, variety of questions. And that part, the analyzing and reflecting and having the students go back to journal these experiences was something that we thought was really crucial to that process. And what's funny to note is we were secretly hoping some of these kites would fail. Mm -hmm. We wanted them to kind of try to figure out and problem solve and try to go back and look at their measurements and really journal everything and assess the materials they were using to see why they didn't fly. So we were kind of hoping a little bit of failure along the way just so we could learn from that. Absolutely. So now when designing the kites, um, the themes that the story reflected were pretty heavy. We had racism. Reincarnation, immigration, family, disaster, and death. Mm -hmm. And the students would extract all the information from dragon wings, and they'd come up with symbols and color choices and text. They would grab quotes from the book and design kites that reflected those, um, those themes. Now, these are some of the final... Um, Kites, they were four foot by six foot, so we really came a long way from our small little prototypes to, let's flip it. <laughs> and here's just one example of a kite that the students built. This is a, a tarp that the students painted on, and this attached to a quad line, and you can guess how many lines of uh, kite string that involved, and I can tell you it's not three. Um, so what's interesting, this is our lead character, Moonshadow, and he's torn between two worlds, the world he had back in China, mm -hmm. and then the world now with his father in um, San Francisco. And uh, we particularly liked this design because the students thought of this on their own without any influence from us. I enjoyed so much about how the students in this group decided to make this three-dimensional braid out of yarn, and this tail eventually became this tail of the kite itself. They were so innovative and so creative and, and no prompting on our parts. They just came up with this beautiful image with the moon shadow, our, our lead character, torn between two worlds. I'll take this. Okay, thank you. Okay. All right, so this was one of our prototypes. This was where we really began. It was a paper um, kite, just a small little eight and a half by 11 kite. You can see there's just a few little folds, and we brought in some fun colors for them. And we also, every time we had a prototype, we would go fly them and see how we did. Right. And these materials were, again, household materials, things that you can find. Uh, and you didn't have to have a fancy budget in order to create a fancy kite. Um, Again, these, uh, this prototype, as well as the other prototypes um, that you'll later see in the slides, can be found on a handout located at our booth later this afternoon. So please come <laughs> visit us. <laughs> 
And right here, we're making a sled kite. We found a lot of success with the sled kite. We used it out of uh, plastic, like paper Trash bags, bag. like kitchen bags. Mm -hmm. And this one was about racism, what racism meant to them and how they translated it. So um, here they are putting the string together and um, creating the sled kite, which was most successful. And these, the following slides, I mean, these are just a small slice of what we experience with the students in the residency. Um, and to see the type of skills that the students built as they went along this process. So things like reading comprehension, looks like the, that group right there are working together, um, team building, um, problem solving. Collaboration was key because they worked in small groups together. And you can see they're um, taking quotes from the book. And everything was referred back to the story of Dragon Wings. And here we have the box kite. This is our last kite. And um, with this one we used, we thought it was appropriate because it was about reincarnation. And we thought it was interesting because we took paper bags and we're recycling them. And so kind of like yeah, reincarnation. Nice so it's very symbolic. Yeah. Exactly. There's a great parallel there. And the outcome of this, one of the, one of the nice outcomes that you see here on this slide is the opportunity where the, the kids were liberated and had the chance to fly their kite. Um, and to see and experience for themselves, like what this, what how steam can be infused into this activity. So their ability to test the science of nature, as an example, not having as much wind on that day, or sometimes they were working against the wind. I'm like, no, <laughs> so they can figure out which way to fly their kites. So the wind was definitely something that they were learning about along the ways. Yeah. So well, we hope you got a sense of this thrilling experience that the students were able to experience and, um, and how naturally that the arts and science can integrate. And we want to thank you for um, having us share today. And again, my name's Miss April. And I'm Yvonne. <laughs> All right, thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
Um, Our school is not organized during those two weeks by grade level. Instead, the entire school, kindergarten through eighth grade, comes together as one big learning community. We divide ourselves into cross-age groups with two main goals. One, to learn more about a topic. And then secondly, to decide how to creatively and effectively present what we've learned to a wider community, our friends and families who will join us on that Saturday morning in March, the big event. So this year, our topic was oceanography, clearly a science topic. The students are completely engaged in the entire process of this study, intellectually and emotionally. It's their event. The motivation comes from them, the ideas are theirs, and the success is theirs. They come together and brainstorm areas of interest within oceanography. That is a very big topic. We learned that 71% of our Earth is covered by the oceans. It's giant. What about oceanography? What do we want to learn? They research. They read. They write. They illustrate. They create displays to present information. They problem-solve the unexpected glitches that come along the way or challenges that we discover. I don't know how to make that couch in the language arts room turn into a boat. How do we make that cardboard stay up? They design the look and the feel and the activities for each room for that day of the big event. And it's purposeful learning. We've heard today a lot of talk about real-world situations. It's purposeful. They're reading and they're taking notes and they're summarizing ideas because they have questions that they want the answers to. Questions like, well, when were we able to first explore the depths of the ocean? Uh, What inventions, what famous people made that possible? How are oil spills and garbage affecting our waters today? I want to know more about all the really cool marine life. How are waves formed? How does the moon affect the tide? So they learn science concepts and are introduced to new vocabulary. Tons of examples of how math comes in. They figure out how to divide an 18-foot timeline into the time periods that they want to show that explore the periods of exploration and how our ships and vessels changed over time. They think about size and scale and proportion when creating a life-size whale tail. Uh, They measured and cut PVC pipe for the underwater ROVs that the middle schoolers made. Creativity and design and art are necessary as the students decide how to present what they've learned. And at the end of this two weeks, Our school has been completely transformed. So imagine what used to be the kindergarten room is now a walk-in ocean with crepe paper kelp forests and a coral reef built with recycled um, found objects, marine life from a myriad of creative materials, a giant tube sock octopus, cellophane jellyfish, Another classroom paid tribute to the history of exploring the ocean. There was a wall-sized visual timeline that chronicled the history of sailing ships, of diving gear, and underwater vessels. They wanted a walk-in submarine, so they found a way to turn a closet into a submarine, complete with control panels and a working periscope. Twinkle lights on the ceiling represented constellations and talked about how they were used as navigational tools. 
Outside the science lab were pools set up so that visitors could operate these sea perch ROVs that the middle schoolers made. We attached GoPro cameras, and so visitors could maneuver the vehicles, bring up the video, and see what was hidden in those deep, dark pools. One thing that was really important to our students as they were talking about topics is to explore our personal connection to the ocean. Students somehow wanted to show how we're inspired by the sea, its effect on our spirit, our our creative expression in poetry and art and music. So one room was dedicated to this, and they called it Soul of the Sea. They decided that by creating an 8-foot by 21-foot mural of a sunset, that that would create the mood for this room. This gives you some idea of the scale. Um, Eight feet by 21 feet, one of the things that we did in creating this is I stood there and I said, all right, I'm about five foot five, so about how many of me would be how high this ceiling is? And then now look at me and imagine me stretched out. How many of me would it be for this length? Then they also had to figure out if we were using 12 by 18 size construction paper, How many pieces of that construction paper will we need to create that mural? They used uh, different art mediums to create this. They used tissue paper and oil pastels and watercolors and chalk. And each student created a piece that would eventually come together to create our impressionistic um, sunset. The day of the event... This became a place where parents came and were restful and quiet and became in touch with their creative side. They could sit down, they could rest, and they could read one of the picture books that the middle schoolers had written. Just like someone this morning said that what they remember from eighth grade is this one project, that's what this kind of learning does. Having kids involved in this kind of learning not only encourages kids to take initiative in their own learning, decide some things they want to learn. It develops and reinforces academic skills through real-life applications. It provides tons of opportunities for problem-solving, for creative expression, encourages collaborative work, really promotes leadership skills, It allows individuals to rise and shine in areas they may not have in a regular classroom. And it makes those lasting memories. But probably most importantly, it's fun. And really, when we think about lifelong learning, we know that we tend to do the things in life that we enjoy, the things that we don't like, we kind of put off to the side. But the things that we really enjoy, we do. So if we want to encourage lifelong learning, it needs to be fun. Thanks. Before we transition to the exhibits, so many people have asked me if I'm going to rap. I guess I've got to, huh? So you're not actually legit as a rapper until one thing truly happens. You get on iTunes. And so my most popular song on iTunes, on iTunes is actually a song called Test Time, but today I'd like to switch the word around to call it Steam Time. So when I say, what time is it, it's, and you say, Steam Time, let's practice. Ready? What time is it, it's? Steam Time. Oh, come on, after lunch crowd. <laughs> what time is it, it's? Steam Time. 
What time is it? It's tea time. We'll take that math book off the shelf. It's time for your brain to express yourself. It don't matter if you're black. Don't matter if you're white, Latino, or Asian. Yo, we all tight. You know I am the best at solving for X. I might drive a Honda Civic, but you drive a BMX. What time is it? It's tea time. One more time. What time is it? It's tea time. The exhibits are now open. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.